This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of the Zoomer Week in Review, heard every Sunday at noon on Zoomer Radio. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by CARP, a new vision of aging. Support CARP with your membership today. Visit carp.ca. Good afternoon and welcome to the Zoomer Week in Review, all things Zoomer worldwide. I'm Libby Snymer. Can you predict if someone has pancreatic cancer simply by looking at their internet search? Microsoft researchers seem to have cracked the code. And we've just celebrated Canada Day in the afterglow of a successful Three Amigos Summit featuring the three-way bromance among Justin Trudeau, Barack Obama, and Enrique Peña Nieto. But is the isolationist spirit of Brexit hanging over North America? And what would that mean for us? That's coming up. But first, here are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. According to a report from Health Quality Ontario, it appears many who want palliative care in their final days aren't getting it, or they're getting it too late. The report suggests 60% of those who die do receive palliative care service, but about half of those people don't get it until their last month of life. The report suggests nearly two-thirds of older Canadians are having discussions concerning the end of life, and while most people want to die at home, 65% of Ontarians die in hospital. Just days after Canada's physician-assisted dying law was enacted, it is already being challenged by a 25-year-old British Columbia woman. Julia Lamb of Chilliwack, B.C. has spinal muscular atrophy and says she's challenging the new law because she doesn't qualify for physician-assisted dying. Lamb says she knows she could lose the ability to breathe on her own, forcing her onto a ventilator and cutting off her ability to speak and request a physician-assisted death. Her lawyer says the Supreme Court gave people like her the right to end their lives with a doctor's help while the new law forces some of those to find their own way to die. There are 15 finalists in the Active and Assisted Living Smart Aging Challenge Prize Contest. AAL is offering 50,000 British pounds for the best innovation that uses the Internet to empower older adults to achieve the quality of life they aspire to. There were 200 entrants in the contest, and judges spent the last two months whittling them down to 15. The next stage will involve the finalists going on to an innovation academy in Brussels, where they'll receive advice about their technology and business mentoring while trying to further impress the judges. It pays to turn 100 years old if you're from the Philippines. A new law has just come into effect saying that any Filipino who reaches 100 will get a letter of congratulation from the president of the Philippines along with 100,000 Philippine pesos, or nearly $2,800 Canadian. They'll also be rewarded with a plaque of recognition and an additional cash gift from their respective city or municipal government during the National Respect for Centenarians Day in the Philippines 
on September 25th of every year. A significant birthday for one of the world's funniest comics. Mel Brooks turns 90. When were you born? We didn't have uh, formal uh, years and names in, in writing. We didn't know. I see. And what? Nobody kept time then. See, we didn't know, we didn't write, we just sat around, we pointed in the sky, and we said, whoa, hot toy, you know? That's all you said? We didn't even know it was the sun, we thought. You mean you really didn't know anything? We didn't know anything. We were so dumb and stupid. That's Brooks and Carl Reiner in their famous sketch, The 2,000-Year-Old Man. Brooks wrote, directed, and starred in dozens of films, including The Producers, Blazing Saddles, and Young Frankenstein. He's one of a very few entertainers who have won an Oscar and several Tonys, Emmys, and Grammys. Brooks isn't one to rest on his laurels either. He's planning a sequel to the Star Wars spoof Spaceballs and has lent his voice to an animated movie that's coming out next summer called Blazing Samurais. I'm Libby Snymer, and those are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. What if diagnosing a medical condition was as simple as being able to look at someone's internet search history? Microsoft researcher and senior fellow Dr. Eric Horvitz says they're close to doing just that after predicting pancreatic cancer by looking through some internet users' search history. It could be a big breakthrough for technology all started out with a personal story from Horvitz. You know, um, I, I did both my, my medical degree and my Ph.D. at Stanford. The Ph.D. was on my focus in artificial intelligence and decision-making under uncertainty. So I tend to try to combine those things over time, and I definitely have my antenna up for important and challenging uh, problems in healthcare. care. Um, in the case of uh, cancer and pancreatic cancer specifically, I've had uh, several close friends uh, wrestle with that illness. And of course, in many cases, for them, the wrestling was unsuccessful. Um, They they died shortly after being diagnosed. In one of the cases, there was a a childhood friend um, who I was speaking to uh, one day casually. He just mentioned in passing several nonspecific symptoms that were bugging him uh, to the side of our call. And I said, you know, um, I don't want to scare you or anything, but go tell your doctor these three things that you're that you're experiencing. And it, it's concerning to me, but I wouldn't worry too much. But just go. And um, in in short order, he was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer and and went off uh, to to wrestle with that for a few months later before dying. Um, I thought to myself, might we gain access to these? complaints, uh, symptoms earlier, might there be fingerprints in time when it comes to how patients uh, um, experience the symptoms of a, of a new or progressing illness that may not even be known to clinical medicine that we could work with in the new world of big data and data sets to come up with new insights to assist potentially, for example, with early diagnosis or screening with new, in new ways. And it turns out that I've been working with uh, large-scale anonymized search logs, kind of the whispers and pursuits and questions people ask search engines, and we thought this might be a good place to look. 
Um, to what extent, there, there have been some other examples of the use of big data to look for things like that. I guess the famous case is tracking the flu when Google tried to track the spread of the flu. That search didn't work out that well. The big set of um, challenges that come with working with these kinds of data sets, I typically look at them as data sets in the Wild West versus the data sets of electronic health records, which might be more traditional, is that we need to sort of come up with ways to characterize how well they work, to characterize their error, to understand how to filter them. So, for example, people might say they're, they're sick on Twitter, but you have to realize that people say they're sick of that movie or sick of this this or that thing and not necessarily sick of the flu. And so there are new sophisticated methods that have been overlaid on top of the earlier ideas to make them more effective. So we shouldn't take the early criticisms of the work, for example, at Google and throw out the baby with the bath water. Back to the pancreatic cancer, what did you look for? What symptoms? Were you looking for people searching vague symptoms or what? We know from, from clinical medicine various symptoms that people tend to feel over time of a diagnosis of pancreatic cancer. These include uh, various kinds of back pain at different levels of the back, uh, various kinds of indigestion and uh, abdominal pain. The first thing we do is we want to find um, evidence without having electronic health records of a positive set. Which people searching the web were just recently diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. Then we go back in time up to 18 months and, and look for all the synonyms of the way human beings would express things like general itchiness, pruritus is the medical term across someone's body that rises out of nowhere, a strange loss of weight without reason, um, different kinds of pain and indigestion. All these things taken separately might not be a big concern, but what we're also looking for is to use what these methods called machine learning to ask the question, are there time-based fingerprints in terms of the ordering of how these factors express themselves when people ask questions about their symptoms and how they persist and which ones come to the fore and at what time scale that would give us a signal that this is something potentially serious. This study was based kind of on looking backwards. Um, do you have any sense of when you would be able to predict this going forward? So we go back in time and we ask the question from this corpus of data, could we predict this positive four months in advance, five months in advance, six months in advance, and how many of these cases could we capture at only one in 100,000 false positives? And? So we have done that study, yes, and we believe it would be, very, it would be quite effective at the levels we find. Sounds very exciting. Dr. Eric Horvitz, thanks so much. Well, thank you. Love talking to you. Bye-bye. Bye. That was Eric Horvitz from Microsoft Research on predicting pancreatic cancer by looking at Internet user search history. I'm Libby Zneimer, and this is the Zoomer Week in Review. Coming up, we'll talk about Canada-U.S. relations now and what it's predicted to look like after the November election. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by CARP, a new vision of aging. Support CARP with your membership today. Visit carp.ca. Welcome back to the Zoomer Week in Review. I'm Libby Zneimer. 
In recent days, Canada hosted the Three Amigos Summit, and U.S. President Barack Obama addressed Parliament. It was the first time a sitting president has spoken in the House of Commons since Bill Clinton did it back in 1995. Much of what was addressed was the economy and trade between the two countries, which could change significantly after the American election in November. Will the breakaway spirit of Brexit trump the bromance among Canada, the U.S., and Mexico? Bill Anderson of the Cross-Border Institute at the University of Windsor joins me. What are the biggest issues facing us in terms of our relationships with our neighbors as as we celebrate being Canadian? Well, I think right now there's a tremendous amount of uncertainty about the presidential election coming up. And I can't imagine that there's ever been a, a presidential election in the United States that could have such significant implications, at least economically, for Canada. For example, uh, we have in the automotive industry, which is very big. I'm here in Windsor, and that's the big industry here. But, of course, it's a big industry in the, in, in the greater Toronto area as well. Uh, we basically have a production system that can't function without trade between the United States and Canada because most of the cars that are produced in Canada, and there's a lot of vehicles that are, are actually assembled in Canada, um, have components that come from the United States. There's many companies here that uh, build components to go into cars that go in the United States. And so uh, if we were to suddenly say that we're going to have tariffs uh, on those, it would very significantly increase the cost of all of those automotive supply chains. We have uh, agriculture, where I am down here in Windsor. Uh, we have, uh, say, greenhouse operators who, who may be producing tomatoes or peppers or something like that, and 80% of them are going across the border and going into supermarkets in the state of Michigan, Ohio, or Indiana. So all of those economic activities uh, are threatened um, if, if we're talking about um, getting rid of all the rules on NAFTA and, and going back to a situation where we're charging tariffs as we did before. Uh, how realistic is it, even if Donald Trump uh, becomes president? I mean, he says he'd just rip up the trade agreements. Yeah. Would he actually be able to do it just like that? I think that uh, he, he has a tendency to greatly exaggerate the power of the president to change such things. And it's not clear whether we would have a Congress. Uh, I, I think uh, it, 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 there's a sort of a, a funny irony with respect to uh, American politics and trade, which is that we have a president uh, in, in President Obama who's very, very supportive of NAFTA and very much supportive of even things like the TPP uh, in terms of international trade. And yet his party, the Democrats, uh, tend to vote against uh, trade agreements in Congress. Uh, now, the Republicans, um, whose, whose nominee is, is very anti-trade this time, are the ones that tend to vote in favor of it. There are people who say that even with Hillary Clinton, uh, the trade situation may not be so good because she'd be appealing to the left of her party that supported right. Bernie Sanders, who is also a protectionist. Yeah, she's she, and, and she's getting a lot of tremendous support right now from Elizabeth Warren, who's very uh, more to the left and is very hesitant towards trade. And so you have to wonder if... Um, I think that mostly reflects the fact that Elizabeth Warren wants to prevent Donald Trump from being president, but at the same time, uh, you 
you have to wonder whether there are some agreements being made that a President Hillary Clinton would go slow on trade. I don't think, you know, I don't think under any circumstances uh, with a Clinton presidency would we see a kind of uh, let's 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 tear up NAFTA. I don't think that's in the cards at all. But she said in this election, and she said also in the previous election when she ran against Barack Obama, that she wanted to open up uh, NAFTA and and renegotiate bits and pieces of it. That could be a positive thing, but it still uh, creates some uncertainty. Now, how much does last week's Brexit vote play into all of this? You know, as we look at our relations on this continent. Well, it certainly complicates the Canadian trade deal that's ongoing with, with the European Union because it would imply if, if the UK actually does go out uh, of the EU, and that hasn't happened yet, but if that does happen, that that uh, CETA agreement um, would be losing uh, one of the biggest trade partners. I mean, the two big trade partners for Canada in, in the European Union are, are the UK and Germany. And so it would mean that uh, there would be a real question as to whether Canada would have to go ahead and, and come up with a separate deal with the UK or whether there would be a sort of a parallel deal or how that would work. So that would cause a little bit of uncertainty. Okay. Dr. Anderson, thank you so much. Okay. Thank you. It's a pleasure. That was Bill Anderson, a professor and director of the Cross-Border Institute at the University of Windsor. The remaining link to the original band backing Elvis Presley back in the 1950s has died. More on Scotty Moore when we come back. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by CARP, a new vision of aging. Support CARP with your membership today. Visit carp.ca. Welcome back to the Zoomer Week in Review, all things Zoomer worldwide. I'm Libby Snymer. It's time for your International Arts Datebook. Tips for those of you who are jetting around the world. Here's Bob Comsick. Now on stage at the historic Cherry Lane Theater in New York's Greenwich Village, the comedy Out of the Mouths of Babes, starring Broadway veteran Estelle Parsons as one of the babes. The production has been extended through July 31st. In Edinburgh, the Scottish National Gallery is hosting the first major international exhibition of pioneering French landscape painter Dabigny. He influenced a generation of Impressionist painters, including Monet and Van Gogh. And in Australia, the world premiere of Degas, a new version, is billed as the most comprehensive retrospective of the French artist's life ever. It's at the National Gallery of Victoria in Melbourne. I'm Bob Comsick with the International Arts Datebook. He was the lead guitarist for one of the world's most iconic rock stars. Scotty Moore, who played on dozens of Elvis Presley songs, passed away this week at the age of 84. In 1954, Sam Phillips of Sun Records introduced Elvis to Scotty Moore. Together they recorded Presley's first hit, That's All Right. It was just meant to be a demo, but everyone was so impressed with the recording that it was released as a single. Moore stayed with Elvis through the 50s and 60s, playing on such hits as Heartbreak Hotel, Mystery Train, Blue Suede Shoes, Hound Dog, and Jailhouse Rock. Along with Elvis, Scotty Moore also worked with top musicians like Keith Richards, Jeff Beck, Levon Helm, and Carl Perkins. Moore was inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 2000, and in 2015 he was named 29th on Rolling Stone's list of the 100 greatest guitarists. Right now, we'll hear one of his biggest hits with Elvis Presley. Here is Hound Dog. 
That was Elvis Presley with Hound Dog. Elvis's longtime lead guitarist Scotty Moore passed away this week. He was 84. And that brings us to the end of this week's edition of the Zoomer Weekend Review. I'm Libby Snymer. Thanks for joining me today. Be sure to come back next week to stay up to date with all things Zoomer worldwide. You've been listening to the Zoomer Weekend Review, produced by MZ Media Limited. Executive producer Moses Snymer. Produced by Dave Woodard and Paul Thomas. This has been an exclusive podcast of the Zoomer Week in Review. Heard every Sunday at noon on Zoomer Radio. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.